show is presented in part by Bridgestone. We're passionate about making tires you can count on to perform when it matters most. This is Popular Technology Radio, your source for the latest emerging tech and hot internet trends. Now, here's your host. Hey, welcome everyone. It is Popular Technology Radio. Yoo-hoo! And it is the holiday season, and I'm going to guess maybe you've already spent all your money and purchased all your holiday gifts. But here we are. It is uh, the last show of the year for us. It's hard to believe that 2018 is winding down, but indeed it is. And we are happy that you are with us on this last show of 2018 as we head into 2019 and what will be, no doubt, yet another busy and crazy year in the world of technology. We are getting ourselves prepared for Las Vegas for the Consumer Electronics Show, which is uh, the first week. I think it's the 8th of January, so we are all very excited around here at PopTech Radio to be going and in fact, today we're going to talk a little bit about what we're going to be maybe seeing next year at CES and in the in the months uh, after that as we head into 2019. And with that, we've got our good friend Jeffrey Morrison joining us. He is the editor-at-large at Wirecutter. He's, of course, a writer also for CNET and the New York Times. And he's just a groovy chap. Jeff, how are you on this fine day? I am doing well. <laughs> are you packing your bags? Are you ready for CES? Are you excited? Uh, well, I was just as I was just telling you guys off the air, I bought a new car and it has a very small trunk, so I'm I'm only going to be bringing one change of underwear and a shirt. And that's it. I'm going to wear that around Vegas for <laughs> oh, three right. days. I will uh, make sure I stand back a little bit from you as as we head to Vegas. Now, how many times or how many years now have you gone to CES? Control oh my! This is going to be my nineteenth CES. Oh but my! I started. God. I started very young. Yes, Let you me did. Be very I know, clear. I know that for a fact. I think I saw you that year, and you were the cutest toddler there for sure. <laughs> exactly. Perfect. Yes, exactly. And I want to say, and I was kind of counting in my head, this might be the twenty. Third CES that I've been to. Nothing to be proud of, certainly, but uh, by the years pile up and and yeah, they do. It really, really fast. And one of the things that I'm kind of taken with, and we do we do a couple of trade shows a year in terms of our you know going there and and broadcasting recording shows. Um, you deal a lot more with the manufacturers than I do. Are they kind of finding that? They're maybe not getting quite the bang for their bucks. It, it is so big now. It's really hard to get heard above the din. If Obviously, if you're Samsung or LG or Ford or any of these major, major, major players, they, of course, get always you know a, a lot of attention. But you know, for those medium-sized companies or certainly the small guys, are you finding some of these folks are kind of just saying, mm, you know, I'm not going to go. It's not, it's not like it used to be. It's not where you would totally meet all these buyers now it, it's kind of a year-round business. It's not quite as, as seasonal as it used to be. It's a huge, huge cost for these companies, certainly small companies, to go there. Are you hearing that? Are you getting that sense? Certainly with the audio companies. I mean, if it's a smaller audio company, they used to have a lot of space available in different hotels and then in the last few years, certainly at the Venetian. But a lot of them are pulling out and going to be doing – they do like small regional shows mm -hmm. and they found that they can get – 
a lot more, like you said, bang for the buck for doing one of these smaller shows where they're able to kind of interact with consumers directly. And they're a very small company, but they might be the biggest company at that show or one of the larger companies at that show. Uh, like Rocky Mountain Audio Fest is a good example where a lot of headphone companies will go. So that's that's certainly true. But yeah, but yeah I mean, you know, Central Hall uh, at the Las Vegas Convention Center is always going to be these huge booths from, you know, Samsung and Sony and all these companies. Uh, and, and and a number of Chinese companies have gotten you know larger and larger booths as they've grown, like TCL mm-hmm. and High High Sense. So it's still kind of a mix. And I feel like a lot of companies feel that they have to be at CES in some capacity just because it is what it is. But yeah, how much they actually spend, I think, varies a lot. Um, the smaller guys certainly are probably spending more elsewhere. I remember back in the when the economy crashed back in kind of 2008 and how, you know, we were there. I don't remember if it was January of 2008 or, or maybe, I think maybe it was probably January of 2009, likely. And we should mention, you know, this is trade only. So these are not open to consumers. And, and you had mentioned that, you know, for a lot of companies, that's not a good thing. But I remember that year in 2009, they have the space on the floor marked off with numbers for people that were going to move in. And, and a lot of people just didn't come that year because yeah. They, the economy tanked, and now maybe there's some hints that the economy is slowing down. But boy, since 2000, it probably was slow again in 2010. But 11 and 12 kind of started to pick up, and by 13 it was rolling. So we've had a good five, six years of a strong economy, and it just being packed. And I'm hearing the number of 180,000 people there this year. But well, it's, it, it's staggeringly expensive for a company to put on CES, not just in terms of the booth space. Um, and getting whatever they're bringing there to the show, but also the hotel prices have skyrocketed in the last yep. few years. And yep. it's, you know, unless you're staying well off the strip, it's hundreds and hundreds of dollars a night. And then the flights as well. I mean, there's yep. uh, some of my friends were saying that a coach seat from New York for that week could be $1,000 or more, which yep. is insane. It's the business of trade shows. All right, when we come back, we're going to talk more about what we're going to see at CES with Jeff Morrison from. The Wirecutter and CNET and New York Times. When we come back, it is Popular Technology Radio. On the track, even one hundredth of a second decides who wins and who loses. That's why Bridgestone uses advanced racing technology to create their fastest street legal replacement tire yet. The new Bridgestone Potenza RE71R. Engineered with an innovative hydro evacuation surface and unique tread compounds, the new Potenza RE71R is designed to give you maximum grip and ultimate cornering on or off the track. Bridgestone is changing the game in tire performance. Welcome back to Pop Tech Radio. Now, here's your host. And we are back. It is Popular Technology Radio. Mike Etchart with my good friend Jeffrey Morrison. He, of course, editor-at-large for The Wirecutter, writer for CNET and The New York Times, and a writer himself, a fiction writer. Jeffrey, let us talk, as we were talking about CES, of course, and, and we rolling into that time of year. And, of course, all of the major media outlets, for some reason, everything leads with, for the most part, televisions. <laughs> It is a thing that we love to talk about. Prices haven't come down so much. It is dramatic what you get now for so very little money. And, you know, as we kind of look ahead, I'm seeing lots of talk. First of all, 
about 8K TVs. It seems like mm-hmm. we just had 4K TVs, <laughs> but now 8K TVs. Should I care about getting an 8K TV? I'm not feeling like I should, but w- what's your take on these folks kind of now announcing that this maybe 2019 is going to be the 8K rollout in televisions? Well, um, I mean, you're asking the guy that uh, wrote one of the most infamous articles about 4K, uh, which was titled 4K TVs are stupid. But the point of that article, which holds true with 8K as well, is the fact that at the distance most people sit from their TV and the size of the TV that most people buy, uh, there's no point for 4K. 1080p was just fine. Your eye can't resolve that extra detail. Uh, Now, if you get a larger TV or you sit closer, then yeah, okay, the extra resolution is great. So 8K, it's even more so that that, this extra resolution is just lost. However, the current 8K TVs on the market, which in the U.S. is basically begins and ends with Samsung, but we'll see some more at the show, um, is also a fantastic television. It looks great, and it's 8K. So that's a a positive in that, yes, if you want to buy this great TV, although, I mean, to be honest, there's other great TVs out there that aren't as expensive as these, but whatever. The problem is that none of these 8K TVs are what's called HDMI 2.1, which is the next generation of HDMI, which is available in spec form but there's no hardware for it yet so these tvs are kind of ahead of the curve in that capacity and without hdmi 2.1 you can't send this 8k tv an 8k signal you're limited to only what's available within the internal apps which to me seems a bit kind of short-sighted in that you know what if there's an 8k source down the road which presumably there will be this TV is not going to work. And we saw that same thing with early 4K TVs, mm-hmm. that they also wouldn't accept a 4K signal. And now the people who bought those first generation, well, they have kind of a paperweight. They can't really use it as a 4K TV. Yeah, that's a problem. Well, and let's actually kind of break it down by who needs even 4K. So in my house, I have a relatively small living room. I have a 50-inch set. About the biggest set I want to even get is a 55-inch set. Am I going to notice, and I probably sit at the most 10 feet away from the TV, you know, maybe sometimes, maybe eight. Am I going to even notice at that distance and that size TV, am I going to notice the difference between just regular standard high definition and 4K? Mm, maybe. Um, you're kind of on the on the cusp there. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also an aspect where if you're watching streaming 4K, that tends to be softer, mm-hmm. uh, less detailed because it doesn't have the bit rate. Whereas if you're watching a 4K disc, like a 4K Blu-ray disc, that might be more noticeable. The picture quality is going to be better. Um, there's a lot of variables in there, kind of your eyesight, um, the, the type of television and so forth. So uh, maybe. But the follow-up article that I did, actually it's a couple years ago now, was essentially saying that 4K TVs are stupid, but it doesn't matter because all TVs are 4K at this point. You right. can't really buy a 1080p TV unless it's something very, very small, and which is basically what I said in the original article as well. It's like, look, this is going to happen. And I recently wrote an 8K article basically said the same thing like this is inevitably going to happen but you don't need to rush into it anytime soon this isn't something like oh i need to get this to and so my tv's not obsolete tv's not going to be obsolete you buy a 4k tv now it's going to last you seven or eight years just like it would have if you had bought it last year before you had heard of 8k 
So it's kind of get what you can afford. Don't spend a ton of money on a television because it's just not worth it. And then, yeah, be happy with it. Don't worry about it. It'll last you for a while. All right. And on that note, we're going to take a quick commercial break. Pop Deck Radio coming right back. My dad is a proud doer, always building, repairing, or maintaining something. He relies on Craftsman tools, and I do the same. Today, Craftsman mechanics tools, metal storage, and lighting are available from your favorite retailers. But that's only the beginning. A full line of retooled and refined products are on the way. Find your favorite store at Craftsman.com. And stay tuned for more big news from this trusted American brand. Welcome back to Pop Tech Radio. And we are back. Popular Technology Radio, Mike Edshart with Jeffrey Morrison, editor-at-large of TheWireCutter.com, writer for CNET and the New York Times, and he is talking TVs with us because that is always the headline out of CES, which we are fired up for and coming up in just a couple weeks, actually. And Jeff, we've been talking about 8K. One of the things I want to end up with on 8K is... You know, there's a little thing called content. And to the best of my knowledge, when movies are shot digitally, they're typically using 4K and then bumping it down to standard high def for a lot of us. Is there any 8K content on the horizon? Are we talking about, are the studios talking about that? Or is that... Yeah, it's a bit me? It's a bit of a mix. I mean, movies are starting to shoot 4K. Um, there are 4K cameras available um, so that's far more common now to have a 4K, which just a couple of years ago, it wasn't. Obviously, the 8K being on the horizon, this is something that the camera companies are working for. Uh, NHK in Japan has been a big pusher for 8K. They have some prototype stuff they're working on. And there is content, and I'm sure all the radio listeners can hear the air quotes that I just put on that, um, <laughs> in that there is some test content out there. But if someone's expecting to throw on, you know, Marvelous Miss Maisel or something in 8K. That's not it. We're many, many, many years away from what most people would consider content like TV shows or movies in 8K. That's a long way off Um, because it's, you know, it's a lot of data. 4K is already a lot of data to to store and edit these things. So 8K is obviously, you know, significantly higher it's always the chicken and egg with this kind of thing. Like, well, okay, even if the cameras show up, well, what are you going to put that on? How are you going to deliver that uh, to either an editing bay and then from the editing suites of like, well, how do you get that to the consumers? Yeah. So there are ways to do that, but it's not as easy as 4K, which already is not as easy as 1080p or HD, you know, so-called. <laughs> we will keep tabs on that. That's all we can do. Well, let's talk about yeah. OLED. You know, OLED... Sure. Boy, I'm trying to remember when the f- first OLED things were, were introduced. It had to be five, six years ago. TV fun- sized? Yeah, it's about that. Yeah. Yeah. So now Samsung does not have OLED. Is that correct? Not Most- at the moment. Right. Okay. But they have something called QLED. What is it? <laughs> That's called marketing. Yes, it is, isn't it? So in general, OLED technology, it's coming down in price. Um, yeah. One of the challenges, I think, on the manufacturing side early on, have they kind of gotten that under control and. 
Pretty much, yeah. I mean, I've been a big fan of OLED since I first saw it kind of many early 2000s, and and they've been working on it even longer than that. Um, It's gorgeous. It's usually better looking than most standard TVs, in which in this case is LCDs. It's better than even plasma, which everyone, including myself, used to love. Mm-hmm. Um, it just has a very punchy image in that it has a, a better contrast ratio. The darks parts of the image are darker. The bright parts of the image are brighter. It's an, an amazing image. It's just, like you said, getting them easily manufactured has been a challenge, and LG figured that out kind of in the way that they make their... Uh, their OLED is a little different. Um, they can do that. They can get it down in, in a, an affordable price. Clearly, they've been doing it for a number of years. Uh, I think I'll have to. I'd have to look this up, but I'm pretty sure every OLED on the market, regardless of the company selling it, is an LG panel. I don't believe there's anyone else able to do it. There's maybe one or two other companies. And that we're talking TV sizes, of course. The, yeah. the phone sizes is different. That's a whole, even though it's the same technology, the methodology of making it is very different. So Samsung has phone-sized OLED screens, no problem. I think they might be announcing a, a laptop-sized uh, OLED screen soon. But TV sizes, it's much more, much more difficult. So LG has kind of figured that out. And... It's gorgeous. It's fairly inexpensive. It's more expensive than a cheap LCD, but less than these 8K TVs we're talking about. Samsung's QLED, which is absolutely named to steal OLED thunder. (laughs) Samsung is a master at that kind of marketing obfuscation. It's an LCD. It's the same LCD type of technology that's been around since the beginning of flat panels, essentially. Uh, Much better, obviously, but it's still LCD. It uses quantum dots, which are these um, tiny, tiny little things that glow when you throw some light at them. It's amazing, and if you Google it, my article will probably come up. The current-gen QLED TVs, if, you know, if we have to call them that, uh, are fantastic, you know, and, and they're brighter, certainly brighter than OLED. So if you have a very bright room or you watch a lot of sports during the day or something, uh, one of these TVs is probably better than OLED because it's so bright. But uh, not to say that OLED is dim, but this is a whole other level. So they have their strengths uh, and they have local dimming. So parts of the screen can get darker and, you know, letting the kind of making the appearance of a contrast ratio being really, really good. Um, not quite as good as OLED, but unless you put them side by side, maybe most people wouldn't really notice or care. But you know, that's my general rules. Like if you watch movies and stuff at night, then OLED's probably better. And if you watch sports and stuff during the day, then one of these LCD or QLED TVs, quantum dot LED TVs, they would probably be better. And in general, but before we take a quick commercial break, what do you think OLED prices are going to come down to? Let's say a 55 inch set. Are we going to be able to get that under two grand or is it um, you know, I'd have to I'd have to look it up. Uh, I'm not even sure what the the prices are on a lot of these at this point because I I tend to deal with just like the, yeah. the theoretical and the tech side of sure. it. But but the, the way LG does with these is that they'll announce stuff at the show and then a few months later we'll actually get pricing on it and then in the summer they'll ship it and then usually by mm, October November they slash the prices. Right. And it becomes significant because they just want to clear out what's there so they can keep making more. And, yeah, uh, that seems to work for them. Yep, exactly. Good time to be on. It's great technology. And with that, we'll come right back. It is Popular Technology Radio. Hurry 
into the Dodge Big Finish event. That's the new holiday greeting in Santa's workshop, and now he's even upgrading his ride. Like Charger, America's only four-door muscle car, Challenger, the most affordable V8 in its class, and Durango, the most technologically advanced, fuel-efficient, and powerful V8 in its class. Santa wants his sleigh to really fly. Ho, ho, go! Hurry in for great deals at the Dodge Big Finish event. Based on 2019 Ward's Miss High Sport Utility Vehicle segment, available V8. Based on Ward's Middle Specialty segment, Dodge is a registered trademark of FCA US LLC. Welcome back to Pop Tech Radio. Now, here's your host. And we are back. It is Pop Tech Radio. Mike Etchart with Jeffrey Morrison, editor-at-large, wirecutter.com. Great website. He's also a writer for CNET and the New York Times. We are talking OLEDs. We are talking TVs. And on the break, we just discovered that, in fact, yes, OLED TVs for a 55 down to about $16.99 these days. And it started way, way up. So, uh, so and like every, all these things, it is coming down. But let's talk about, you know, I guess la- it, was, it was last year. Yeah, so last year, Jeff, at CES... This product was shown. It was a roll-up OLED. It was kind of mm-hmm. like a poster, and you you could roll it up, and therefore, I guess, on a wall, it can kind of come out of a almost like a like an inverse projector would be, right. uh, except it's OLED. And now, the, you know, we're kind of hearing that that's actually going to be a product for 2019. That's uh, the rumor. Yeah, that's the rumor. So I'm not sure that I care about that. Is this one of those things that they can do it? So they're going to put it out and. And we'll see if demand is there, or, or is that something? Um, my editor at CNET, David Katzmeyer, he, he, when he was writing about it, um, he's like, well, why does this exist? And in his opinion, he's like, because they can. Um, <laughs> and that that is, to an extent, that's true. But with larger TV sizes, you know, I reviewed one of the first massive LCDs from Sharp, and I think it was a, an 80-inch TV. And I'm a projector guy. I've had a projector as my quote-unquote TV for... 15 years and my current one is 102 inches for 16 by 9 so i'm used to a big screen but having this 80 inch lcd was radically different and it was just this monstrosity and i hated it even though i love big screen stuff because there's something about this mass thing in your living room that's very different even if you mount it on the wall it's just this thing it was too big. It can be too big. Yeah, and and you know when you're watching it, it's fine. But when it's not, it's just this. Ugh. So having a roll up where you could essentially hide this thing and it's invisible or close to it when it's rolled up, and then you press a button and it comes out. I think that would be a huge hit. Not a, as a mainstream thing necessarily, but for certain people, and maybe their spouse doesn't you know really want this huge TV or or their their decor is like, well, this is going to ruin the room. But now we have this huge OLED screen that is going to be brighter and easier to watch with any sort of ambient light than any projector screen would be. I think they're going to sell a lot of them. Okay. Uh, you know, m- minority of their overall sales, but I think they'll still sell a ton of them. And I think it's OLED, but it's the same rough technology that's anyone who's interested in mobile phone tech is the rumor at the show either – at CES or shortly thereafter, both Samsung and LG are going to announce foldable phones. Yeah. So you kind of unfold it, and it's the size of a tablet, but then you can fold it and put it in your pocket. And it's it's funny. I, I've talked to people who think that's a stupid idea, and I look at it like, I think that ought also be a really big hit. Yeah, I can see that one. Yeah. So in general, unlike LCD technology, it lends itself to be foldable or rollable? It can be. It's 
yeah, that, there's a rabbit hole we can go down talking about how that technology works. But um, essentially, you're putting the OLED material and the electronics to make it work on plastic instead of glass so that it's you know, you're able to roll it better and, and then the materials to get it to work are more flexible. There's a lot of stuff there that companies who have been making OLED have been toying with this in a small forms for many, many years. So the fact that LG is getting it to work on something this size and to the point, like you said, that they might actually sell it this year at some, I'm sure, astronomical price. Sure. Um, that's that's really impressive. I mean, OLED has had a lot of technical challenges over the years. And this is this is a, a pretty impressive. Yeah, if it comes. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. But when true. they... You know, the rumor is saying that it'll be a product in 2019. That probably means like November. <laughs> right, 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 right. It's not you're not going to see it January 19th. Uh, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, and do you and do you want to be that? You know, are you that adventurous as a consumer to step into that technology the first year? That that seems. I, I know you and I definitely not, but yeah. people will buy it. Yes, there are people would buy it. You know, we've we've we talk in the past a lot about that first generation of uh, plasma metal. TVs. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. those are fifteen grand for a forty-two inch. Like, no way. That looked terrible. Oh, and, terrible. And people, but people were buying them because they yep. were flat and they hung on the wall. And I I remember thinking the same thing, like, oh my god, that is just so awesome. And and yeah, a foldable phone or tablet that is a pretty cool concept. I just. I can just see problems with the first generation of that, but but that's oh, just sure. the way these things roll out, right? You know, you, so yeah, there are adventurous course. people that that have dough that want to go for it. Yeah, absolutely. Or they they don't have the dough, but they still feel the need that they have to be <laughs> that person who has that first thing. And all right, well, those people, although you know, we all roll their eyes about it, they're the ones driving this stuff. That they when they buy it, that means that that next generation is going to be cheaper and cheaper. And early adopters, they uh, they help. I guess. Right. right. Well, and, and, and again, through all of this, I, you know, I still marvel in this day because I certainly have been alive long enough to remember and, and recognize how, you know, we don't really talk about it very much. We talk about it on the show, but, but I don't think it's, it's in the public consciousness that much, which is really how far we've come in just in terms of manufacturing technology and how quickly things can come to market and, and be wrapped prototyped and everything and it, that that really is the story of CES over the years is absolutely how fast stuff is able to be cranked out at a cheap price and how quickly it drops yeah and that and that is not just china in terms of china being china but also because china became this manufacturing powerhouse for this stuff it means that all of the pieces for things not just the physical pieces but the software designers and people making prototypes and so for all of those steps are all there and usually near each other that it's just that much easier and faster i review 360 cameras and I, t I talked with some of the people who make them and they can like kind of go from prototype form to selling our product so rapidly and if there's an issue well they probably know the guy who does the software for it who's right down the street I'm like oh can you put this in for me oh yeah sure and then you know if it's not all in-house it's amazing of just how much faster all of that stuff can get done and when not to okay well, well be careful with the political aspect of it but when people talk about manufacturing electronics in the u.s that's the difficulty is that all of this stuff it's not like oh labor prices mean it's more expensive it's all of these pieces the steps in the chain and the infrastructure become significantly 
slower and more expensive when you move manufacturing out of China anywhere. Exactly. So it's uh, it's tough. It is tough. On that note, we will take a quick commercial break. You're listening to Pop Tech Radio. We will be right back. Have you ever tried to plan a vacation and the hotel costs, airfare, and pet sitter all add up to one big never mind? Well, it's time to embrace the adventure and go RVing instead. GoRVing.com is your one-stop shop for all things RV camping. Browse the different types of RVs, find a rental agent or dealer near you, and compare the costs. Explore more than 16,000 RV parks and campgrounds nationwide, and even plan your menus for the trip. Find out what you've been missing at GoRVing.com. That's GoRVing.com. Welcome back. It is Popular Technology Radio. Mike Etchart with Jeff Morrison, editor-at-large at thewirecutter.com. He, of course, is a writer for CNET and the New York Times. And he is a fiction writer with the Undersea series. You can find his books on Amazon. And now let's talk about you, which I wasn't familiar with. On the break, you mentioned the last segment we talked about, these potential roll-up OLEDs that are coming. And you mentioned transparent TVs are perhaps on the horizon. I have not seen that. What the heck is a transparent TV? I mean, I can guess what it is, but... Well, it's a TV that's uh, transparent. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah. This isn't for home use, really. I mean, I guess you could put it in a house, but when it's off, and even when it's on, any part of the screen that's not really in use is clear. It's um, uh, lets you see what's behind it. And this is going to be for... Like a digital signage in stores, you know, like imagine walking up in like, um, you know, some company is trying to show off their little product. And in front of that product is a moving image that kind of talks about it or shows features you can't see or, or whatever. Uh, so that, that part of it is fascinating. But then the use for this kind of goes beyond just TVs or I should say displays, so not really TVs, is, you know, this is such a sci-fi yeah. idea, right? So imagine like a window in your house that when you walk up to it shows you weather data mm-hmm. or your email even without obscuring the view behind it. Or, you know, I think some people probably have heads-up displays in their cars because they're more common now. But imagine like kind of even beyond that where the windshield could be you know, full-size nav data or something, or on the windshield itself has images for what's beside the car or behind the car, so you're never really taking your eyes off the road to even check mirrors and stuff, that it's all right there. Uh, it's just, it's, the uses for something, for this type of technology is, you know, huge. And then you could also, I guess, put it in your house and have this weird TV thing that's really hard to watch. <laughs> right. So is that on the horizon? Is that kind of in the lab? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they showed some prototype stuff. I think LG showed a prototype at CES last year or the year before. And then I think we're probably going to see some more of that at the show this year as well. One of the things I wanted to mention when we were talking about 8K in the first couple segments is, are we going to be done with 8K or are they going to really then try to do 16K or 32K or can we... Can we kind of put a fork in it after 8K, or is, or is it, will this kind of go on just because they can? Well, the problem is increasing resolution is kind of the easiest way to improve, I guess. I, I hate to say it that way, but make it appear like an improvement. It's an, a component of improvement, but it's not necessarily right. at its 
just at face value. It's got, that doesn't necessarily make things better. Right. So the way that the TVs are made is with uh, it's called mother glass, and it's a, a huge sheet of glass, maybe uh, several feet in diameter. And they kind of cut this thing up. So you have maybe 10 55-inch TVs, or you can make four 65-inch TVs or whatever, however the math works and how they want to do it. And so the resolution stays the same. You're just kind of changing how many pieces you're going to cut out of it. So then if you take kind of a different size glass that normally you would cut up into X number of pieces at 4K and you make a fewer number higher resolution screens, then you get a higher resolution. Now you have 8K or whatever. And then it's easy to market because people look at, oh, well, 8 is more than 4, so it must be better. Um, It's not, but whatever. We talked about that. So the HDMI 2.1 that I talked about earlier, this new connection, and the cable can stay the same, although you probably need better cables to do 8K, but that's fine. The the maximum on that, I believe, is 10K resolution. Okay. And so that's probably where the next step is going to be. But, yeah, I mean, these things will get higher. It all kind of depends if people buy them. If no one buys an 8K TV, then, well, okay, that's the most that we'll get. But right. chances are enough people will buy it that somebody, probably Samsung, will say, well, okay, we need the next new thing. What's the next new thing? 10K. Okay, fine. So it's an arms race, you know, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But we're already at, you know, a, a point of certainly diminishing for the average consumer. You know, I've mm-hmm. seen a hundred inch TV. Well, then then you're talking some some difference. Some notes. TV or, or like VR. VR is a great use for much higher resolution. Right. Um, so, yes, there are uses for these hires. But in terms of TV form, yeah, most people don't. And especially when we're dealing with streaming and in the U.S. are, you know, bit rates that you get for any streaming thing are so poor that you're not going to be able to do 8K very well, and you can barely do 4K very well most places, if at all. So, yes, compression will get better as well, but, uh, like, you know, already we've seen, like, if you have a really good Blu-ray, a 1080p Blu-ray, it's not going to look pretty much any different than, like, bad streaming 4K. In fact, the Blu-ray might look better. Right. Right. So, uh, you know, like you said, it's an whole easy, other thing. We you know as consumers, we're all kind of dazzled by the numbers. And so it, it is easy to sell someone on. Well, it's twice more. Of course, right. it's better, you know, and, mm-hmm. and but I, you know, I, I wonder if as consumers, we're getting a little bit more savvy that that perhaps isn't necessarily important. I, I, I hope so. But I think also it's like, you know, when you talk about like, oh, this one has more detail. And if someone doesn't really know a lot about televisions, they're going to think that that's the most important thing. Oh, it's clearer. You know, oh, OK, I want that. And like, and you know, stores aren't going to dissuade people of that opinion. No. So, you know, in the history of TVs, the higher quality image doesn't always win out and usually doesn't. I mean, plasma looked better than LCD pretty much anywhere you looked at it other than a store. But, you know, people still bought LCD because it was bright in the store and then 4K was possible and, you know, which was harder, basically impossible to do with plasma. So, yeah. And here we are. Well, and on that note, Jeff, let us have to say goodbye. And can we just say we will see each other in Las Vegas? We shall. That's right. And I will stand back because as I, as I heard in your first segment, you're going to be you're, you're just you're traveling light in terms of clothes with your new car. Well, Mike, it's all I can fit. <laughs> That's right. All right. Well, safe travels out to Vegas. Thanks for coming on the show. And uh, we will hopefully talk in Las Vegas on the show floor with what is exciting that day when we get there. How's that? Absolutely. Absolutely. See you then. All right. Jeff Morrison, thank you so much. He's the editor-at-large at Wirecutter, writer for CNET and the New York Times. And we will be right back with Pop Tech Radio. 
There are many words you could use to describe the new Kia Stinger GT. Stunning, stylish, sporty. The word breathtaking, however, isn't just an adjective. It's a warning. Because while the ability to go 0 to 60 in 4.7 seconds might take your breath away, going 60 to 0 with powerful Brembo brakes will help you catch it again. The 2018 Kia Stinger GT, fueled by youth. Stinger GT rear-wheel drive using launch control with factory-equipped 19-inch wheels. Results may vary. Do not attempt. Always drive safely. And we are back. That is Royal Orleans from the great Led Zeppelin, named after the infamous hotel in Orleans. A lot of shenanigans happen there with that band, apparently, but we, uh, we're not going to talk about that. But I've got my good friend and old friend. I, I, I'm not going to say how long I've known Alan Taylor. <laughs> it's been a long time. <laughs> a long time from the drive. And how appropriate that the, the last segment of 2018 is you and I together. We've known each other for a very long time. You were kind enough to get me into radio, so I owe you much as I get to have fun on, on the air. So thank you, sir. And are you ready for 2019? I am, and, and I'll agree with you. You do so it's christmas time send me something for that's goodness. right <laughs> i'm writing out the check as we speak <laughs> no i don't care just food okay that's all i want <laughs> food, food, that's okay. anyway you got that now, was a great we year are here. we are heading to vegas of course you host the drive i mean you've literally been into cars as long as i've known you and yeah. that is north of of, of a long time <laughs> yes it uh, is Without saying exactly how long I've known Before you. Before we could drive, by the way. Yes. Well, that's exactly right. No, yeah. that is exactly right. Uh, so let's talk about CES and the automotive world. Because when you and I hooked up at CES many, many years ago, that yeah. was kind of the beginning of that being a crucial show for the automotive industry. And that has only increased as years go by. It's huge for those guys, isn't it? Yeah, well, it is. As a matter of fact, if you remember, and I remember because it was, it was a big day for me, I got to see my old buddy and I said, hey, there's this new kind of stereo system in the new Acuras called the ELS, which is That's Elliot right. Shiner. And you were working for Universal Music at the time. And I said, how do you explain to people what this amazing system is? And I was like, wow, that was... That explanation, I even understood it. And, I, and I'm like, you know, I'm not that smart. But anyway, no, so, but let me tell you what. I was just at the LA Auto Show, and yeah. I want to tell the world to watch out for a car company that is coming. It's called Rivian, R I V I A N, R I V I A N dot com. You can look at it, they have a fantastic website. This is a brand new, by the way, all electric truck that's going to be coming out, but a luxury truck that has huge horsepower and it's got huge range because it's got a 180 kilowatt battery, which is the world's largest automotive battery. So like a 400 mile range, something like, you know, six or 700 horsepower. I don't know if they've actually announced the exact horsepower, but it's huge horsepower. Um, amazing, beautiful machine, luxury truck. And here's the deal, Mike. They build this on what's called a skateboard platform, okay? So you know what a skateboard is, right? Ew. Flat deal, wheels on it. And everything that they need to motivate that vehicle going down the road is in that skateboard part of it. So they can put an SUV on top of it. They can put a truck on top of it. They can put an, a, you know, a sedan, whatever the heck they want, on top of this skateboard platform. And it's just brilliant. And if you go look at it, if you go to their website, R-I-V-I-A-N, Rivian, Rivian.com, you will go, Wow, now that makes sense. Now, they're not the one that came up with it. Matter of fact, General Motors has been talking about this skateboard platform for, I don't know, a decade or more. But the point is that they have really taken it to a whole new level. 
It's a beautiful machine. You're probably going to see it at the Consumer Electronics Show as well. But it debuted to the world at the Los Angeles Auto Show, which was just at the end of November there. Um, but yeah, all the automakers are really focusing in on the Consumer Electronics Show. Why? The convergence of Consumer Electronics into and completely integrated into the automobile in every way, shape, and form. It started many, many years ago when I first started talking to you about, you know, what is this amazing stereo system? Of course it started with music. As a matter of fact, tell the world who Elliot Shiner is so that they know under, well, understand he is, why. He's a very, very well-known producer and engineer, uh, and he, of course, uh, known for many other artists, but but succinctly for, for producing and engineering Steely Dan records. So right. he's very well known in the industry and the folks i think it was panasonic who the actual oem on that but, Jeez, but i don't remember that yeah yeah but they were smart enough to basically bring him in uh to have a music guy tune a, a stereo for an automobile yeah. and it made a i mean why somebody didn't do that before but acura had the right. sense to do that it was a very successful product for them and as you kind of said tech in the car sells the car yeah. and sometimes more than horsepower and driving capabilities it's about the stereo it's about the gadgets in the car and boy, things have changed a lot, haven't they, in the last two decades? Well, and that is where, and I know your show is getting ready to end, but the Consumer Electronics Show, you and I will be together again yes, we will. at yes, that we will. show. And <laughs> I look forward to talking to you more about, uh, you know, all the stuff that's going on in the consumer electronics and the auto industry. We'll be there together. Okay. You, I'm looking forward to that. All right. Thanks, Alan. We will see you there. And thanks, everyone else, for listening in today. We sure appreciate you checking us out here at Pop Tech Radio. Uh, needless to say, we are podcast. Wherever you get your podcast, you can grab Hey, Merry it. Christmas! Oh, sorry. And happy holidays to you, Alan, and happy New Year, because we're going to talk until the New Year, until it's 2019. So, and on that note, folks, I also want to thank Cody Castleberry. He is a producer and engineer on my show, and he makes everything go smoothly. So couldn't do it without him. And big thanks to Alan Taylor for coming on the show. And on that, folks, have a wonderful happy holidays and a happy new year. We will talk to you very soon in the new year. It is Pop Tech Radio, and I am Mike Etchard. Have a great one. We'll see you next time. If the measure of a car was how many people it turned into people who love cars, the Subaru Outback would be worth its weight in gold, thanks largely to its symmetrical all-wheel drive. Unlike other systems that wait for a wheel to slip, it powers all four wheels all the time. All while with better fuel economy than midsize SUVs. And the fact that the Outback is made in a zero landfill plant doesn't hurt either. It's a car that is truly built to be loved. Love. It's what makes a Subaru a Subaru.